You've got mail. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Everything Email Podcast. I'm Allie Swordlow, VP of Strategic Channel Partnerships at Live Intent, and I'm here with my co-host, Carell Cooper, SVP of the Customer Journey Group. Customer lifecycle is a term you usually hear about in marketing. It's used to describe the progression of steps a customer goes through from consideration to purchase to loyalty. But when you think about email marketing specifically, have you ever heard about the term subscriber lifecycle? What about emails going viral? Well, in this episode, we're talking about just that with Chad White, author of the book Email Marketing Rules and thousands of posts and articles about email marketing trends and best practices. Chad is also the research director at Litmus, a web-based email building, testing, and analytics platform that helps more than 250,000 marketers create better subscriber experiences. Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you go into the six stages of the subscriber lifecycle, which you detail in your book? So it all starts with acquisition. And acquisition is the entire process by which you are getting a new subscriber. So it's your sign-up form, your script in the call center where you might be asking someone to sign up for emails, wherever it is you're asking people to join your email list, to join your community of subscribers, that is acquisition. And it also includes, if you're using a double opt-in process, that opt-in confirmation request email. After that, if all that goes well, you're on to the, the second stage, which is onboarding. Traditionally, you might think, oh, that's the welcome email, which it absolutely is, but certainly nowadays you have to also consider that it's a welcome email series. More and more brands are using more than one welcome email. Sometimes they're consecutive welcome emails before sending any sort of quote-unquote regular emails. Sometimes that welcome email series is sort of threaded through some additional quote-unquote regular emails. But also, I would encourage everyone to think about their subscription right after someone subscribes, that subscription confirmation page on your website. Think about that as part of onboarding, too. Sometimes it's kind of a little bit of a throwaway page where people have like very basic language that someone has just raised their hand and said, hey, I like your brand, I'm very interested in your brand. Keep that momentum, make sure you're using that sign-up confirmation page to drive action, and obviously make sure you're sending that first welcome email immediately, too. In many cases, people will immediately look at their inbox to make sure that that sign-up occurred correctly. So after that, then we get into the three stages of engagement. Those are the people who are getting your broadcast emails, your seasonal emails, those emails that go to kind of everybody. If someone isn't engaging with those emails, they go into the re-engagement stage. That's when you have a chance to really kind of change things up, change up messaging, change up frequency, to try to get people re-engaged. Hopefully you have the opposite occur where people are absolutely engaging, and that gives you tons of opportunities to engage them in further, something I call super engagement. And that's triggered emails, segmented emails, getting people to opt up into additional mail streams. It's anytime someone can get more emails because they are engaged with you. Huge, huge opportunities in that super engagement stage of the life cycle. Already starting to see a significant number of companies that are making the majority of their email marketing revenue from those kinds of emails, triggered emails, and then the highly targeted emails that are going to their most engaged subscribers. Now, if all of that doesn't go well, you end up in the final stage, which is transition. Your opt-out process, your unsubscribe page, preference center if you're using that to handle opt-outs. Also, if you're doing any re-permissioning, those emails are part of your transition stage. 
this is something that I think email marketers have a little bit of a stigma around. They they don't kind of want to acknowledge this part of the life cycle, which of course, unless people are reporting you as spam, they're they're encountering this transition stage. I would encourage everyone to really embrace it. I say in my book that just because someone is ending their email relationship with you, it doesn't mean they're ending their business relationship with you, and it doesn't mean that they can't restart a email relationship with you. So really is on email marketers to kind of take the big picture view, an omni-channel view, and use that transition stage to direct people to maybe other channels, like direct mail or social, and also to be really courteous and kind of grateful uh, for whatever time you did get to be in their inbox. So taken all together, those are the six stages of the subscriber life cycle. And the only other thing I point out there is that obviously that is different and separate from a customer life cycle. These are not the same thing different strategies. Again, you can have a customer who's not a subscriber. You can have a subscriber who's not a customer. So these two things are different. How important is it to create a memorable experience there? People have pretty high expectations nowadays. They want something special. They don't want it to be too cookie cutter. Now, some brands don't have a lot of quote-unquote personality, but there are a lot of brands, especially smaller brands, that do. And you want to make sure that during that re-engagement process, during that transition process, things that, you know, again, are kind of down here for email marketers for sure, you want to make sure that you're staying on brand. I talk about how some brands don't have a lot of personality. Amazon is always the one that pops out for me. There's been a huge movement around human to human. And one of the things I love about Amazon is that they're not. That's working for them, obviously. When I engage with, with Amazon, I get pure mechanical precision, and, and that's what I like about them. There's, there's no messing around. There's no cutesiness. You can order something. They say they deliver it in two days, and it shows up in like 26 hours. However, there again, there are tons of brands that have tons of personality. It's a key part of their brand. Make sure you bring that. Bring that to your onboarding. Bring that to your acquisition. Bring it to all six stages of the life cycle of a subscriber. Make sure that you're not forgetting things. You have gap in your program where all of your personality kind of slips away. Be yourself. Chad, what are some key considerations for marketers during that fifth stage, the re-engagement stage, or what some marketers might call reactivation or win-back? First, we should acknowledge that the goal of that stage is to get an open or a click. That's what you're gunning for. Conversion would be awesome, but that's not really the goal. That, that would be you kind of jumping way over the bar. You're really just trying to get some engagement again. Secondly, I like to focus on trying to address that underlying reason behind lack of engagement. Why are they not engaging with your email? Clearly, you're not meeting their expectations. What are their expectations? And to figure that out, I love progressive profiling, preference center updates, quizzes. You can do all kinds of fun lifestyle quizzes and things. Get them answering questions. And that can give you data that you can use to target them better, to change the kind of content you're giving them, to try to kind of reboot that relationship because what you're doing isn't really working for them. Now, there may be some fundamentally unaddressable disconnect between what they thought they were going to get and what you're prepared to give them, but many times it comes down to sort of relevance, wrong email frequency, or wrong email content. And you're not going to find that out by using a win-back campaign. 
win-back campaigns are typically like really rich offers, big discounts to try to get people to, to engage and convert. And I see people using that sometimes as part of a re-engagement process. And there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, that can that will work for some people, people who aren't engaging because they're not seeing a good enough deal that's going to sway those people. But I, I'd like to go the route of trying to understand that disengaged subscriber better. Trying to get that click, you're trying to get that open, you're trying to to verify that that person is essentially still listening. So you mentioned preference centers as part of the re-engagement stage, but also part of the transition stage. Would you encourage a marketer or a brand to give the subscriber the opportunity to opt down instead of opt out? I would. And I think we're increasingly seeing that. It's actually been a little while since I've done a thorough research project into unsubscribe processes. But definitely that is a growing option forever and ever and ever. The two top reasons why people unsubscribe, too many emails and the content isn't relevant. I, I have discovered over the years that those are essentially the same thing. If I send you really relevant emails, going to tend not to say you get too many of them. Or if I'm not sending you relevant emails, you're going to very quickly reach that, that point where you're like, oh, there's way too many. So they're really kind of like the opposite sides of the exact same coin. So giving people the opportunity to, to opt down and get fewer emails in your preference center, I think is really key. And I think that that's been an option for a significant number of brands for a while now. So I think this is kind of growing expectation. That's an option. I think part of the trick is that sometimes marketers, they kind of save that in their back pocket and they only make that available to people when they've gotten to the point where they're frustrated and they're going to unsubscribe. Sometimes people will just will be so frustrated that they just won't want to give you that additional chance or that you make your, your preference center more visible earlier in the process. So you're not kind of hiding that option. That definitely, for better or worse, Frequency is a huge component of the happiness for subscribers. So absolutely recommend that people give that option to their subscribers. You can definitely save a significant chunk of, of people who are looking to unsubscribe. With attention span seeming like it's getting shorter and shorter and so many different ways for people to consume content and get information, does the relevancy strategy that you just talked about, does that solve for attention span when looking to re-engage consumers? Interestingly, we, we just did some research into email attention spans. We drilled back through six years' worth of data that we had at Litmus because we track how long people view emails, like in seconds, up to 18 seconds. That's our, our ceiling. And we looked at six years' worth of data, and we wanted to see if attention spans were shrinking, which we thought they would be because of Twitter and texting and, frankly, the whole universe sort of squashing down our attention spans. Yeah. That's not actually what we saw. We saw the reverse. We saw that people were actually spending more time with individual emails that they opened, and that was, that was a great sign. I think it, it's still pretty short. On average, people were spending a little over 11 seconds per email that they were engaging with, which is not a lot of time, but it's not a little bit. I mean, 11 seconds, thats you can communicate quite quite a bit in 11 seconds. Now, that said, there's undeniably a trend toward minimalism and brevity in email messages. There's sort of, sort of a little bit of a dumbbelling going on right now where at one end you have things like skim, really long newsletters that are really rich and have lots of content, and sort of at the other end of the dumbbell, you have tons of emails that are really brief that maybe have 50 words <laughs> of sort of content and like a call to action. Lots of emails like that that are trying to drive people as quickly as possible to a landing page. 
So when you talk about relevance, again, I think you got to find what's right for your brand. Mm-hmm. But what our research has found is that you should not be afraid to go long in email. You shouldn't be afraid to include really good content in an email. The problem that we typically find is that a lot of brands obviously want to drive people to a landing page, to their website, because it gives them more options to see more about what they're doing, and obviously to give them more options of where to go next. But in terms of the relevance of an email, you really do have quite a bit of time. I would I would say that people shouldn't be quite as concerned about the ticking of a clock than they appear to be. They appear to be very conscious of that. I think they could kind of rest a little bit easier. At what stage of the life cycle do emails have the potential to go viral? Emails have the greatest potential to go viral during that super engagement stage. And it's not only because those subscribers that are in that stage are highly engaged. It's also because emails that are targeted, that are really pointed, they're nearly twice as likely to go viral as untargeted messages and messages that are sent to really big audiences. We did some research a couple of years ago, and we used Litmus's email analytics software to analyze forward from over 400,000 campaigns that we tracked over like a two-year period. And we analyzed 200 of the most viral emails and compared them to 200 emails that were sort of the very middle of the pack, right there at the median. And what we found was that the emails in the top percentile of viralness were more than four times more likely to be segmented and were nearly three times more likely to be triggered emails and emails in that sort of median 50 percentile. Targeting is very clearly a driver of virality. What other ways can marketers make their emails go viral? Yeah, maybe we should backtrack a second and just kind of clarify that when we talk about virality, social media virality is different from email virality. On social media, when something goes viral, it's like the equivalent of like running through your neighborhood or your office building screaming something. When something goes viral via email, it's the equivalent of whispering in your best friend's ears. So very targeted things. So social media virality is can really drive like awareness and views, very top of the funnel type stuff. Whereas email virality, that drives like additional conversions. That is a bottom of the funnel type of activity. Those are really important differences between the two. In that context, the fact that an email would be more viral if, it target, if it's targeted, it makes more sense. What we saw repeatedly in our research was that there was like a, a message that had like sort of a, a big broad message wasn't very pointed, wasn't very specific, it was like 40% off everything or something that was kind of like designed to have big, broad appeal, those messages had very low virality. And the messages that were incredibly pointed was a discount on a particular kind of product or promoting a certain kind of niche event or what have you, the more specific it was, the more viral that was. And that kind of makes sense. You, know, you might like associate your friends with a certain brand or what have you, but if you see a product that you know like, your buddy is going to love, like a really particular product, you know, it makes you think of that person, and that's what drives you to forward that email on. So there's, there's definitely this relationship between the specificity of the message and that like encouraging people to forward. Thank you so much, Chad. This was really helpful. And I know you've got a book coming out really soon. So Email Marketing Rules, the third edition, is going to be available June 2nd on Amazon. That is correct. Putting the finishing uh, touches on it right now as as we speak. Very exciting. Tons of updates. I don't know if this would dissuade some people, but it's 
almost 500 pages long. It's incredibly comprehensive. About uh, about half the material is is new or vigorously updated. So tons of great information in there that can give you a great overview of the things you need to do to create a great email marketing strategy. Is there an ebook version available so I can read it on my Kindle? Absolutely. It'll be available in print and digitally. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Chad. I definitely appreciate your time today. I know Corel does as well. This was very insightful. Yep. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Be sure to be on the lookout for the next episode of the Everything Email Podcast. Take care.